0: You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. I decided to take on a subject that has daunted me for... As long as I can remember, and that is the seven-headed, ten-horned beast in the book of Revelation. Now, on the one hand, I'm pretty confident that I know what it is in a macro sense. I have virtually um, no questions that, in some sense, it's the Antichrist. At least one of those heads is the Antichrist who gets the deadly wound, etc. The beast is referred to euphemistically, the first beast, all throughout the the book of Revelation as a reference to the person of the Antichrist. So I know in one sense, the answer is it's the Antichrist. But in another sense, there is so many details about the seven-headed, ten-horned aspect of this beast, both here in the book of Revelation and in Daniel, if Daniel is in fact intended to be understood as, as related to this beast, which I would argue it kind of has to be which I'll get into in a minute, then there are many aspects that can give us a lot more information about the Antichrist. But every every time I try to come up with an idea of what each of these heads represent or try to work out some of the other problems that we'll get into, it, it never ends up clicking with all the other details. And it is so taxing on my brain, that I feel like it's just there's, there's some kind of lock to this mystery. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that verse 9 in Revelation 17 starts off with, this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, and the other is not yet to come. And I know, I know many of you are thinking, Chris, it's this thing or it's that thing. I'm telling you, if you think it is a thing, and you don't know some of the things that we're going to talk about today it's very likely that what you believe is contradicted by some other aspect of this in my commentaries i never i never uh came up with a reference for example uh of the five heads five of fallen one is in my commentary i simply said you know this is probably referring to five sort of satanic manifestations of the Antichrist in history, if we're to understand these as kings and not kingdoms or whatever, uh, they would probably be particularly blasphemous. But every time I try to do a traditional sort of Bible study, the same kind of methods and hermeneutics that has has yielded me proof that I'm on the right track in other instances, it always ends up with nothing. None of the none of the normal methods I use seem to yield results with. Not just that, but it's actually interesting in the book of Daniel also, in Daniel 7, where we have the four beasts rising out of the sea, one like a lion, one like a four-headed leopard, one like a a, a, a bear with three ribs in its mouth, and, and the diverse beast, beast with ten horns, even in that commentary, I simply said, here are what I think these symbols would mean for the person who will eventually figure out what this means. But I don't know what it means. And I, I have tried. I've looked up every aspect of that. What are the three, the three ribs? Bear studies and leopard studies. and Every kind of study you can do in the Bible to see if the Bible is giving you some kind of clue to this. And it's just, as far as I can see, it's no help. Um, and the traditional views, I mean, read, read commentaries and you're going to get some pretty diverse uh, opinions on this. I think the traditional view, which we'll talk about, that these are to be equated with Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, I think a lot of you are probably thinking, oh, Chris, this is probably your weird theory about Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 not being the same thing that, that's causing you problems. If you would just take that traditional view, everything would be fine. Look, I'm okay. I, I, I'll go back to the traditional view if you can prove to me that this works. I think when we get into this, you'll see that the problems with the traditional view that this is uh, you know, Babylon and Medo-Persia are, are what, much, much more significant than just the beasts seem to live on for a time in the millennium and we'll get into all that stuff but i basically want to get a couple points across this is a huge problem and i don't think i've ever heard of anybody solving it and when i finally sat down to be like i've got to figure this out it just started pouring notes 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 not even organized notes it's hard for me to even you might be able to get a sense of this to even articulate what the problems are um there's a lot here And I, and so what I'm going to try to do in this podcast is just use it as a excuse to figure this out and to maybe try to tackle it in bite-sized chunks. Like for example, one podcast might just be talking about the 10 Kings. What do we know about the 10 Kings? And I think, I think if this is going to be figured out, it's got to be, there's got to be like a list made of here are the things that must be true about the 10 Kings. And that list is much longer than you might think. And then let's go from there, you know, or whatever. So right now I have a big list of things that must fit these passages. And, uh, and if, and, and, you know, to find out where the contradictions are and stuff like that, I'm nowhere near ready for this stuff. But I think one way to talk through some of the problems is to go through, well, I don't know, where should we start? Should I, I'll just mention a couple different options and I, and maybe I should start by just giving the, the overview of what's happening in these passages. So let's start in Daniel 7. As I mentioned, uh, four beasts appear out of the sea. Um, one is like a, a lion. It has its wings plucked off. It's told to stand on its feet. It's given a heart of a man. Uh, a one is like a, a, a bear with raised up on one side, has three ribs in its mouth. It's told to go out and devour much flesh. You've got the, the leopard with four heads. It's got wings, I think, as well. And then you've got the Antichrist beast, in which it's this this beast with iron teeth, and uh, and it, it's got ten horns, and one little horn uproots three of them, and the little horn is the Antichrist. He speaks, speaks blasphemous words. It continues for three and a half years. It's clearly the Antichrist. Now, as I mentioned in Revelation, uh, uh, that same beast appears multiple times. It's mentioned specifically. In Revelation 12, Revelation 13, Revelation 17, where it talks about, let me just read Revelation 13, 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and 7 heads and 10 diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast and they worshiped the dragon who had given his authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying who is like the beast who can fight against it and the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months etc etc now there's a lot of interesting things are happening there because we know. I could argue, and I should argue very strongly that the writer of the book of Revelation wants us to equate what Daniel said with this. And the reason I know that is first, but in order to do that, we need to understand that those four beasts that I talked about before, one of them, that's seven heads because the leopard had four heads and there were three other beasts. So that's, so what's So they were all put together and now they got seven heads and ten horns because, as I mentioned, the last uh, diverse beast had ten horns already and the little horn came out of it and everything else. So Revelation expects us to understand that that's an amalgamation of it and it's further reiterated because it was like a leopard, it was like a bear, it was like a lion, which was all three of those other types of of beasts. In addition, it adds other details such as um, the three and a half years it was allowed to continue for 42 months. That was a thing that was mentioned in both Daniel 7 and Revelation 13. The war on the saints was uh, reiterated, and the blasphemous words were reiterated. So we've got so many details that's just incontrovertible, that we're supposed to understand this, this set of beasts with the other. But then all kinds of problems happen as a result of that. If you if you assume, okay, well, let's see, back there, the little horn was the Antichrist, but here the head is the Antichrist. Are these kings or kingdoms? Because in one, it's clearly kingdoms, one, it clearly is kings. And it, it, it's never as simple as like, well, let's just make them kingdoms then, or let's just make one king. Everything has a problem, and the reference notwithstanding. So I think what I'm gonna do here is just, I think I'm first gonna go through some of the theories. The theory that I'm going to start with to an extent, is one that I think is defensible, uh, but has its contradictions, and that is that Satan is the seven-headed, ten-horned beast, but each human, that each of the heads is kind of a human representative that may or may not also be a kingdom. I I actually think that the Bible demands that you understand that that it has the free will to change king and kingdom at, at certain points, but I also think that it's clearly, as a sort of general rule of thumb, uh, you could almost always say that horns are individuals, and the beast itself is typically the kingdom, but not always. And you, I think, kind of have to have the heads be kings and not kingdoms. But again, there are some passages that sort of demand that you don't take that too seriously. <laughs> so that's why I say it like that. Satan is the seven-headed ten-horned beast. Revelation 12 calls the seven-headed ten-horned beast with 10 diadems Satan, but at the same time we know it's not Satan because Satan is thrown alive with the antichrist uh, the the first beast and the second beast into the, they're they're all they're they're not like Car- Clark Kent and Superman, they're on the same place. At the same time, in that instance, also in the instance where the the, the ritual, where they, the spirits of frogs come out of their mouth and they gather the kings together for the battle of Armageddon. Both Satan, the dragon, the, uh, the, the first beast and the second beast are in that situation. So they're definitely distinct. But because of Revelation 12, Satan has to essentially be the beast himself. However... The bible also refers to the beast now it goes on to say one of the heads has a mortal wound and i think what's happening is it's saying this head is the antichrist he has the mortal wound um, that's healed and he's speaking blasphemous words the same thing that the little horn did in daniel 7 so that's why the perfect match has trouble unless the ten horns on that head he is actually one of those. Then the head itself maybe can be more of a kingdom as long as he is one of the ten kings. But there's problem with that because the ten kings are discussed in Revelation 17 as sort of autonomous different kings. They are, they do not have authority. They are given authority by the beast, the antichrist for a specific hour. They hate the woman. The blah blah blah. So they the ten kings are are there and they've got an uprooted problem. We'll talk about that in the in the ten. Ten Horn Section. I never even got through my definition. You can tell me what what's happening here. Uh, So Satan is is the Beast, but each head is a human representative that may or may not be a kingdom. So for example, the head in this theory, this that I'm going to try to first show the pros and cons of, is the heads are are most likely kings, past manifestations of the Antichrist. Think of John and First John. What? Four, something like that, where he's talking about, um, you know, one, uh, Antichrist were in the world even then, but uh, there have been many other Antichrists. So, in other words, so maybe Antichrist has appeared as a for say, for the sake of argument, Pharaoh or uh, Antiochus, that maybe in one sense that was Satan in some special way manifesting on the earth to do something. Uh, very Antichrist-like, whatever that criteria is, is kind of one of the problems in Bible study that I'm having to determine exactly what that criteria is. In one sense, I think it's the blasphemous names on the heads is maybe the, the, the key to this. If I could find in the Bible key moments of manifestations of kings of kingdoms that were characterized by blasphemy, but that's difficult because a word study of blasphemy in the Septuagint or Greek or even just doing an English study of blasphemy don't yield the kind of results that would explain any of that. So it, if it is that, it would have to be non-word study based. And maybe that's why it requires wisdom. You have to know the Bible better than I do. Uh, anyway, so continuing with my definition, with the seventh and final head being the man we call the Antichrist, the 10 horns are 10 human kings Of Revelation 17 that are given power by the Antichrist in the final kingdom. I think the ten horns. I'm 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 pretty darn confident, and I don't think I have any issues with the ten horns being the human kings that we see in Revelation 17. My only problem with them, as I mentioned earlier, the how to deal with the uprooted nature in the vision part of Daniel 7, where the little horn comes up and in doing so uproots three of the ten kings. But then later in the definition, it seems that they don't... The uprooted may have been a little too strong to read too much into that vision because it uses a word that's essentially the equivalent of, uh, of humiliated or something like that. But they appear, if Daniel 7 is to be directly equated to Revelation, to still be there. So it's almost like he conquers the 10 kings but never really becomes one of them. He, he sort of is over and above them to some degree. He, he, he uses three in some way to conquer them. They're, this humiliation or uprooting of them conquers them, but but he doesn't become one of them. And the little horn, you know, and that's one of the problems with, with making this a perfect match is the little horn is now he's clearly the head. The little horn was speaking blasphemous words. It, it was three and a half years. It was warring on the saints in Daniel 7, but those same attributes are attributed to the head that gets the mortal wound over in uh, Revelation. Okay, so the pros to an idea like that is it's logical to assume that all the heads of Revelation 13, the seven-headed, ten-horned beast, are human since one of its head heads gets a mortal wound. This uh, head seems to be uh, become synonymous with the beast since the world is forced to worship the beast whose deadly wound was healed, Revelation 13, 14. The very, very concept of getting a mortal wound implies that the head is mortal. Um, if one of the heads is human, it's logical to assume that they all are. And that's maybe too big of a reach, but I think it's logical to assume that if he is human, then they all are. And maybe human might be too strong of a word. I'm not saying that they can't be that the Antichrist maybe could be some sort of demonic being or angel or something like that. I'm not necessarily this this particular view doesn't necessarily preclude that, but I am saying it's an individual. And I think that the New Testament, especially Pauline writings and Jesus's writings in the Olive Discourse writings, his, his his message on the Olive Discourse, definitely let's just know we're talking about an individual here that, that has these same attributes. The three and a half years, the deadly uh wound, and the uh the uh, uh, blasphemous words etc the like war on the saints another reason why that's a this is a good argument a pro for it is it jives with revelation 17:10 which says that the seven heads are seven kings five of whom have fallen one is and one is yet to come i know people always run around trying to find which which uh, city is sitting on seven hills which is just a total reformer thing uh, if you guys could read the commentaries just to know how how much that has impacted modern prophecy is the reformers. And I love the reformers. I love reformation theology about the gospel and stuff like that. But on prophecy, man, they did more damage than, than, than a lot of stuff. I think in some sense, the mountains there, because it says there are seven mountains. I'm not taking that away from it. It's not like it doesn't say that the seven heads are seven mountains, but it also says they are seven kings. And I don't, I, mountains is a big piece to this puzzle somehow. It may even end up being the key to it. I don't know. But they are definitely kings too. Now, we get into the kings or kingdoms argument. And for the sake of argument here, I'm going to say that kings means kings here because it makes the most sense out of this. It's a pro here because getting the mortal wound, the other aspects of making it seem like the head itself is the Antichrist. So I'm good with with that. So so that's a a pro for it. Um, uh, It also suggests that Satan has... uh, What did I say here? It suggests that Satan has... Throughout history, made specific appearances as a man. That would be a logical outgrowth of that. This makes the beast uh this, on, this makes the best sense of the resurrection Rosetta Stone theory. Okay, this is something I just came up with a name here. I called it the resurrection Rosetta Stone Theory, which tries to make sense of a number of verses. Okay, so the Rosetta Stone, if you know in history, it was found by, I think, Napoleon's troops. It was the first time that they were able to decipher Egyptian hieroglyphics because you had this passage written in Egyptian hieroglyphics, but they also had it written in Greek and some other language, maybe Akkadian or something like that, uh, when they knew the other two languages, but they didn't know. So they were able to decipher Egyptian hieroglyphics because of that. And I think that something is happening here if you take a number of different verses, Revelation 13, 3, Revelation 13, 12, Revelation 13, 14, and Revelation seventeen eight and Revelation 17, 11. By themselves, you wouldn't necessarily know what they're trying to say. But if you put them all together, they're interpreting one another, and the logical outgrowth of that interpretation is that the Antichrist uh, is rising from the dead and that is a title that he has been given. It's one of the reasons that the world worships him. I know, and this is in t- somewhat to distinguish from the idea that is a lot of taken because of one of these verses, which is uh, Revelation seventeen eight of him rising from the bottomless pit. And that is kind of a theory that we're going to talk about at some point um, that I think maybe makes a little too much of that. Uh, I think it's, he does rise from the bottomless pit, but I think what's being... Uh, said there is just another way to say the same thing that all these other verses are saying. That he, that his title essentially is the one who came back to life. Kind of like, in a sense, uh, it's sort of a, a satanic play on the first part of Revelation, where Jesus said he is the one who is and or was and is and is to come. And I think which is probably referring to his resurrection. I think you could maybe parse that another way, but probably not. In any case, uh, so these verses read as follows, Revelation 13.3, one of his heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. I've got a couple things highlighted there. Uh, one of his heads has a mortal wound, which it will say is the, it doesn't quite, and its mortal wound was healed, which is going to be the resurrection portion of this. Another part I have highlighted is the whole earth, uh, and that's because it's the earth dwellers, which is... A specific term in the book of Revelation to essentially refer to those people who are not in the book of life there. The earth dwellers and the non-earth dwellers, that is, those who are saved. And then they have marveled as they followed the beast. Those, So we've got the title, the one whose mortal wound was healed. We've got the earth dwellers and we've got the marveling as they followed the beast. Next verse, it exercises, the first beast, all the authority of the, what, the second beast, actually. The second beast exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. So here we're just sort of understanding that there is, again, it just says his mortal wound was healed as sort of an honorific here. Uh, but the earth dwellers are here, although the specific term "earth dwellers" is not used there. I don't think uh, Revelation thirteen fourteen. Uh, let's see, and the, by the signs that that it is, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, the earth dwellers, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So again. They didn't have to say wounded by the sword and yet lived. It's just it becomes a title for him. And the earth dwellers are doing that to worship him. Revelation 17, 18. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundations of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This is a really key thing. Before I get to it, I'll just read the next one. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. So there's a number of, of between those two. The ghost of destruction is the same thing. In fact, they're the exact same line. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction versus the beast that was and is not and is an eighth and belongs to the seventh and it goes to the destruction. The only difference there is one says rise from the bottomless pit and one says was and is not. It is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, which I'm saying is the Rosetta Stone aspect of that is that that means the same thing. Rise from the bottomless pit can be shown from scripture to mean resurrect from the dead. Jesus was said to rise from the bottomless pit uh, when he resurrected from the dead. I'm uh, sorry, I don't have the scripture on hand. You can just do a study of this, do a study of abyss. Uh, other instances, uh, this is in my commentary as well, going through the instances to, to show you from scripture, it can mean, rising from the bottomless pit can mean uh, uh, to resurrect from the dead. Resurrection from the dead clearly has been a theme as we've been reading about this seven headed, ten headed beast whose mortal wound was healed and yet did live and people marvel. And that's actually one interesting thing in Revelation 17, uh, 8. Because the dwellers of the earth, and it also calls it, oh well, and the dwellers of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast, because it was and is not and is to come. And I would submit that you can take that Rosetta Stone concept of why do the earth dwellers marvel at the beast? Well, go back to what we read there in Revelation thirteen three. But its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth. The earth dwellers marveled as they followed the beast. The marveling, we were told earlier, was because his mortal wound was healed. That interprets the earth dwellers marveling in Revelation 17 because he was and is not and is to come. But I need to be very careful not to be too dogmatic about this. And I think if if I'm ever going to figure this out, I need to hold very loosely any theory that I have here. As much as I think it makes good sense, I have to be willing to let the other uh, things speak for themselves in Scripture. One thing with if you believe that the rising of the from the bottomless pit in revelation 17 is to be equated with the healing of the beast's wound and by the way if you're having trouble with that concept of the antichrist rising from the dead um read a paper called can satan raise the dead toward a biblical view of the beast's wound i read the paper reread the paper the other day he doesn't go quite as much detail as i'd like him to on the aspect that the reason i usually recommend that paper he talks more about the concept of the it's a necessity that the Antichrist and the False Prophet have resurrection bodies in order to be sent into hell, uh, and that's why it says they're thrown alive into the lake of fire and uh it talks about the doctrine of hell essentially the great white throne judgment and the resurrection of the unjust dead has to happen before they are put into hell and blah 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 but he does come to the conclusion that i want people to read which is a lot of reading to get to the point which is that it is god who resurrects that it's not a pretend resurrection he really does resurrect from the dead it is the great delusion that god sends specifically reads the second thessalonians two he does it so that people will believe the lie and it's uh, it's done specifically for the reasons he outlines there, but that's that's my theory. But again, my point is I don't want to hold too tightly on any of this stuff. I want to be willing to say, well, maybe the coming from the bottomless pit is speaking of Apollyon in the bottomless pit in Revelation. Uh, uh, what is it? Nine, eleven. In other words, in Revelation nine, eleven, it says they have speaking of the 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 locust-like beings that are that come out of the abyss when the angel in the uh, fifth trumpet unlocks the abyss. All these locusts go out and they, they kill people. They're, they're described in great detail. The locusts were like horses prepared for battle on their heads, what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. And they, they, they go out and they torment people that don't have the seal of God on their foreheads. Then it says they have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in the Greek it is called Apollyon, which essentially means the destroyer. So, the counter-argument to what I just said would say, well, maybe the, the, the coming out of the bottomless pit, the abyss, am I just saying that this is a coincidence that over here you've got somebody coming out of the bottomless pit, and over here I've just said, well, that uh, the one that was and is and comes out of the bottomless pit and goes into destruction, and that means resurrection, well, I think, again, I think that you can absolutely show that with the Rosetta Stone theory, but I would say... Yeah, I think that it is just kind of in this current theory which I'm willing to bend on and I'm going to go through this theory for example in in one of these podcasts and we're just going to talk about this theory and we're going to go through the the pros and cons of the Abaddon is the Antichrist or or uh, some other uh, fallen angel type thing associated with the Antichrist or whatever. The first reason I'm not too big on this theory that uh, Apollyon or Abaddon in in Revelation 9 is the Antichrist is the timing of the event. This occurs at the fifth trumpet. It it lasts five months. The fifth trumpet, everyone would agree, is well within the wrath of God. Uh, Nearly all sides would agree that the fifth trumpet is, is well after the midpoint, the abomination of desolation. How Lindsey sort of had a, a take on this, which was similar, that he thought the, the Antichrist would be possessed by Apollyon that came from the bottomless pit at this point in the timeline, that uh, the Antichrist needed to be possessed for some reason by this, this angel. I think maybe he said the angel was Satan or something like that. In any case, there was a possession of the Antichrist at this point. That was sort of how Lindsay's take, if I remember correctly. And... So number 1, I don't see any reason that the Antichrist needs to be possessed by an angel from the bottomless pit. I mean, he probably is possessed by Satan in, in a real way, but why would that need to happen at the fifth trumpet as opposed to any other time? There's no other biblical reason for him to be possessed, and if there was, I you know, you might be able to make a case at the midpoint maybe there's a change there in the Antichrist from his covenant. Maybe he gets possessed at the midpoint, but this isn't at the midpoint. It's at the fifth trumpet after the wrath of God has started. started. There's really nothing else for him to do except for Armageddon at this point. So the concept of him being possessed or any significance to the fifth trumpet with regard to the Antichrist seems really difficult to to deal with. Um, Another reason I'm not huge on this theory is that I think it, in context, it's kind of mundane, and what I mean by that is that this angel over the bottomless pit just seems to be a king over the locust-like beings. These locust-like beings have one job for five months to torment people who do not have the seal of God. Um, they need to be told, "Don't harm anybody else; just harm these these people." And he, that this this angel, is the king over those beings that facilitates this judgment for five months. I don't see any reason for it needing to be any bigger than that. And one of the reasons I say that is because nobody has a problem with that concept in the next trumpet. The four angels bound at the great river Euphrates who have been uh, prepared for that hour, day, month, and year were released to kill a third of mankind for the sixth trumpet. So nobody has a problem with four four angels who were not given their names, so and maybe that's why nobody speculates on them, but there are four angels that are bound there that are released to kill a, a, a mankind, a what is a third of mankind at that point. So it's really more of the same in the next trumpet, angels being prepared to do damage to the earth dwellers um, at a given time. I don't see it needing to be any more... Uh, uh, serious in, in addition sort of related to that i don't see any particular reason for this angel to even be a bad guy or for those for that matter the four angels in the next trumpet to be bad guys i mean they're they're killing bad people they're executing god's commands against god's enemies i would say you could probably make the case that the locust like beings that are from the pit of hell and that's kind of another thing we don't even know that the angel that's king over these locust-like beings that definitely come from the bottomless pit. We don't even really know that this angel comes from the bottomless pit. He's just king over them. They certainly need somebody to tell them what to do to obey God's laws, because otherwise they apparently would torment the people who had the mark of God on their forehead. So maybe his only job is to make sure these rabid dog-like beings, demonic beings from the pit of hell do what they're commanded to do by God, which doesn't sound like something Satan would do. But it could be. (laughs) Again, I'm not... I'm not going to say that, that that's the reason not to take this seriously. I want to do an entire podcast just on the the various theories sort of surrounding this idea that Abaddon is kind of the same thing and it, and the, it is to be equated with the Revelation 17 verse about coming out of the bottomless, bottomless pit, because uh, sort of the weakness of my view would, would be to say that the bottomless pit issue... Uh, Is Speaking of resurrection, and am I now saying that this is a separate issue, that it's just sort of a coincidence that the bottomless pit is mentioned over here with a bad guy coming out of it or or ruling over it? And I guess, yeah, I am kind of saying it is a bit of a coincidence. Um, So that's a weakness, I suppose, of that view. So anyway, I wanted to go into a few other reasons why I think that earlier view had pros and cons. The the other pros of the concept that the seven-headed ten-horned beast is essentially that heads are human kings, um, that Satan is essentially the the beast itself, <clears throat> is that it seems to jive with Daniel seven seventeen where it says these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. So here I'm kind of trying to say that Daniel 7, speaking of those four beasts that arise out of the sea, they're great kings, except that Daniel 7 sort of speaks of the fourth one as a kingdom. It just uses a different word for kingdom. So It's really difficult. I should say that's kind of one of the problems of the contemporaneous versus sort of sub-sub-sub... That's a whole other issue here. Are those four beasts in Daniel 7 contemporaneous? I've argued that they kind of have to be, but uh, again, for the sake of argument, I'll be willing to do whatever. But I I think that they have to be for a number of reasons. They are certainly allowed to live on for a time and a season after the the diverse beast is is thrown into the lake of fire. So um, whatever that means... And if you're going to say that they are the exact same thing as the beast in Revelation uh, you know, 13 and 17, then you have to then say, when you get to the part in Revelation 17 where it says, five have fallen, one is, and one is yet to come, you've got to do some really interesting business with, with that. You've got to say, well, five have fallen if they're human kings and they were contemporaneous back in in Daniel, uh, uh, seven, then you've got to what take the four headed leopard and say, he fell along with whatever dealer's choice, uh, the lion or the bear. And so those five have fallen one is therefore must mean, I don't know, again, dealer's choice, the lion or the bear is, and the one yet to come had to be the diverse beast. Well, at least that part makes sense. Um, and that could be it. It could be. Uh, and I think some of you are saying, oh, Chris, this is so simple. If you just go with a traditional view and say that Daniel 2 is the same thing as Daniel 7, the, the beasts aren't contemporaneous, they are uh, Babylon, uh, Medo-Persia, Greece, and, and Rome, and a revived Roman Empire, um, fine, I, I'm okay with that too. I, I'm at the point where I'll take it, but as we get into that, especially, and it's, it's so fascinating to read the commentaries, when you know when you can see the problems with this, you see how badly some of these commentators are are just falling all over themselves. You know, you've got to make the five of fallen, you know, you've got to make Medo and Persia two separate things to get to five, which makes no sense in any of these things. And again, when we get into to that, I think that it'll be clear that that it can't happen. At least they can be nations and they may end up being something like Babylon and Assyria thrown in on one of those. And even if but then you've got another one you got to get rid of. You get number of problems, but if I can find a biblical reason to say, these are the five we should include in the ones that have fallen, here's the criteria of what fallen means, and trust me, I've done a study on every possible aspect of this. I've done a research for fallen or whatever, for example, but to find the criteria of how do we find, you know, trying to come at it from that direction and say... Maybe if we could find just the criteria, then we could find out what they were. If we could find out what we what they were, we can interpret that. And Daniel will fall in line as well. I mean, I, I think that it's interesting if you want to think of it that way. That I that I have never been able to figure out with what Daniel the beasts in Daniel seven are, or the heads on the seven headed ten horned beast. That 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 seems to suggest that they're the same thing, or at least that however you discover them is the same way. A way that I do not know. And again, I want to reiterate. This isn't. This isn't because I believe something weird. I know I've got a lot of weird things that people don't, you know, agree with. But I, I'm for the sake of argument, I'm saying it's all on the table here. <laughs> whatever, whatever it is that will get me there. And I know some of you are saying, Chris, you know, there's lots of theories out there. There are theories about. Oh, it's the a lot of a lot of really on the surface stuff about it's America, it's great Britain. Chris, obviously the lion is on the flag of the great Britain and you got Eagle's wings on a, you know, on something. And so that's whatever. And I don't know what they do. I guess they got to make the tiger be a, the leopard, be a tiger. And I, the, you know, it, it's very on the surface level stuff and stuff like, you know, is July 4th. It is in Daniel seven, four. Huh, think about that, you know, and that kind of stuff. I, I I'm okay with it being America too. If that's the way this is, then then fine. But I don't. A lot of the argumentation for that stuff isn't take isn't even trying to take into to account any of the contradictions that arise from it. It's just very surface level stuff. Uh, anyway, I didn't get to to some of the other things. I know you guys are getting bored with me, so I'll try to wrap it up here uh, real quick. Some of the things I did want to say as I wanted to get into the the cons here. The cons is that I can't find good biblical proof for the beast of Daniel 7, lion, leopard, bear, as human kings. The text also seems to suggest that they are also kingdoms, seven twenty three through 24, etc., which means that they could be past nations or past kings of nations of whom the Antichrist had particular control. If that is the case, I can't seem to find the key to determine what the criteria is for the Antichrist type king. That is to choose one over and above another. I also can't find any key words that lead to solid conclusions, so something I've sort of already discussed. I wanted to talk real briefly about why I think it's reasonable to assume, although I'm not saying that this is the criteria that I'm always going to be using in this study, but this is what... The most preferable option that I would want and the best match I'm looking for is a perfect match with Daniel 7 and Revelation. And I say this it is reasonable to assume that there's a perfect match with Daniel 7, though admittedly, assuming that has made this very difficult to reconcile. I say that it's reasonable because of the perfect understanding the author has with other aspects of the Old Testament Mystery Babylon, allusions to the high priest, and other amazing references that are pitch perfect. Also, references in Revelation 12 has led me to that conclusion. But specifically, the author of Revelation uses many, and I assume it's John, uses many explicit themes from Daniel in Revelation concerning the Antichrist beast. Rising out of the sea, seven heads, ten horns, leopard, lion, bear as aspects of the beast, blasphemy on its heads, the three and a half year period, killing of the saints, possibly destroyed by fire in both diadems on the horns. So the fact that the reader is supposed to equate the two passages is beyond question, but unless a new theory can be developed, I don't think there can be a perfect resolution of the two passages with the beast heads and horns all perfectly matching. But that is the goal. And the reason I say, I want to get close, but it's hard with the horn, the the little horn being one of the horns and and the head essentially taking that same aspect. So it, 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 very well may be that we're not to assume a perfect match, that we're, we need to allow for uh, some, some uh, artistic license here, but it's not, it's not what I'm going to go for. Just a couple other things. Here's some, just from my notes, things that need to fit. The ten ho- horns, which I consider one of the most consistent things, they're human kings that the Antichrist sort of takes over by humbling three of them, but later gives them authority. They have some authority in his kingdom until the very end and that are used to destroy Mystery Babylon because they hate the city. If they are the same as the horns of the ones in the fourth beast of Daniel 7, then we need to understand the plucking up by the roots of the three of them in Daniel 7 to be taking over through those three kings but not a supplanting of them uh the h8214 strong's number for humble or that the 10 kings in revelation 13 and 17 are at a chronologically earlier time i.e before the three are uprooted this seems unlikely due to the lateness of the 10 kings action in revelation 13 which can be argued to be the very end of 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 the 70th week of Daniel. The kings can't be part of the current system because they only get their kingdom for one hour with the beast in Revelation 17, 12, something that I think a lot of people overlook. Another thing is one of the heads in Revelation 13 is the person of the Antichrist. I think that is fairly incontrovertible. Um, The four beasts in Daniel must be kings that arise out of the earth. And that could be kingdoms. As I say, there's some ambiguity there. Each head has a blasphemous name. 13.1 makes it clear that each one of the heads has a blasphemous name, as I think that might be a key somewhere in there. Another one, comparisons of Daniel 7 and 13 are intended. I already explained that. The earth dwellers marvel because of the deadly wound. I don't think it's a coincidence that they're marveling at the deadly wound that was healed is the same reason they marvel because he was and is not and yet is. You got all kinds of problems with kingdoms there because of the earth dwellers worshiping the Antichrist and marveling at him because he was and is and is not to come. A lot of people have theories about, you know, this nation uh, the revived and everybody marveled because, wow, the Roman Empire is back. Who would have guessed? You know, let's marvel and worship the Roman Empire because it's back. You know, it, I, I know a lot of Jesuit types are, you know, you know saying, yes, yes, right now. <laughs> That's exactly what's going to happen. Seventh-day Adventists are out there uh, cheering me on. But anyway, so that there's lots of problems with insisting that that aspect has to be nations because in equating that with a deadly wound, because then you have to make a nation have a deadly wound. I know that there's other theories about that. And you've got people marveling because Nebuchadnezzar, wait, it's not Nebuchadnezzar, who do they say? Um, you know, the old king rises from the dead. But any kind of thing like that, let's say Hitler rises from the dead or you know some ancient king rises from the dead, people marveling because he rose from the dead. Again, I don't see that as like something that people would Know and understand, like, even if he was cloned, do they marvel? Because, how do you even prove that if it's a big deal and then he takes over the world? It's just, it doesn't quite make as much sense as what the seemingly plain evidence is here that he gets a mortal wound, that it's healed, and people worship him because he seems to resurrect from the dead. Um,. Must fit these passages. The beast, must fit this passage. It calls for mine as wisdom. I already talked about that. Worship of the dragon is the worship of the beast, but they are distinct. This is an interesting sort of thing, and really difficult in Revelation twelve, where it just calls the seven-headed, ten-horned beast with the ten diadems, Satan. Uh, And anyway, the worship of the dragon, as I mentioned in Revelation 13, they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, but they also worship the beast. It's not quite explained well. The worship, again, that's kind of why I lean to the idea that the entire beast is Satan. And and the mystery Babylon, she's riding Satan, essentially. Her grand idolatry is the worship of, the grandest worship of false gods, far worse than she ever did before, which is the reason Assyria destroyed her and Babylon destroyed her. She's finally gone far too far and she says she's found her husband and she's found her king but she has chosen unwisely and she is in fact worshiping uh, satan through the antichrist and i think that makes the best sense of that and it also makes sense of these ideas that the worship of the dragon is the worship of the beast but they are distinct the dragon beast and false prophet are different revelation 16 3 and revelation 20 i've mentioned that before they're they're both, they're all three in the lake of fire. They're all three at that ritual uh, in Revelation sixteen thirteen. If strong, uh, if the strong delusion is the resurrection, Revelation seventeen eighteen makes more sense. Uh, that shouldn't really be there. But Daniel seven beasts kingdoms seem to be in play. And that what I mean to say there is that I've tried to nail down say these must be kings, these must be kingdoms, and that is a fool's errand. You will be you will be tricked every time. <laughs> not tricked is a bad bad use of that word, but if you if you demand that that they have to be kings or kingdoms in a certain area, I have not found I I found that to be a very contradictory situation. It, it always seems to trip you up if you demand that beasts are all kings in this situation. Even though the the word is kings and not kingdoms, it uses them interchangeably. Now it's calling them kingdoms over here. That kind of thing is happening. So when I say the kings and kingdoms are in play, certainly in Daniel 7, it has to be a little bit of both, but I lean more towards kings, but willing to be wrong um it seems that the little horn of daniel 7 is now to be understood as one of the heads i know this goes against my perfect match theory but i think it's a logical exception both the little horn and the head speak blasphemous words uh kill saints have authority for three and a half years it is the beast not the image of the beast that gets the wound um i think that was relevant to some other theory somebody was talking about dear children this is the last hour and I just wanted to put this in there. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. And so, in context, this is John says some interesting stuff about the Antichrist, but this kind of fits with the five as fallen one is. John is essentially this is the writer of Revelation. Earlier in 1 John, his epistle is talking about that there, are, you've heard, this is the last hour, you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Now, in context, it can be that John is making a prophecy, and I lean that way here, about the thing that he will later on, expand on in Revelation 17, five and one is and when is yet to come. But he could also, because in, in context, he's talking about who is the Antichrist, but one who denies Christ. And by the way, for people who say, oh, Antichrist means against Christ, Chris, you're saying Antichrist. Well, no, it doesn't. Look it up in the lexicon. It, it can mean against Christ. Um, but also, I mean, it listen to what John just said. He says that uh, who is the Antichrist, but one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. So all you have to do is deny that Jesus is the Christ. And actually, it's that concept and reading that in the study that made me sort of resolve an issue that I've always had with my, you know, the, 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 the Antichrist theory. I've always sort of said, well, maybe the Antichrist might, he can do one of two things, and I'm not sure which one. He's going to either say that he is the return of Christ, or that Jesus wasn't the Christ, because Jesus didn't fulfill all the messianic kingdom stuff, but he will. And so he is the Christ. And so in order to do that, he John defines the word antichrist as but it says who who says that Jesus isn't the Christ. Anyway, I'm trying to say that um, that. That uh, this, this John in that passage is obviously talking about false teachers as well. Uh, So it could be that Jesus, that, that Paul is saying that many antichrists have come, speaking of many false prophets, and probably to some extent, he was saying that, but in doing so, he also made a prophecy that he later reiterated in Revelation 17. All right, so in conclusion, just a few show notes. Uh, first, so I'm going to start in the next episode. I'm going to probably cover, I think I'm going to do the traditional view first. So not just the feet and toes and the and the, the four beasts being the same thing as Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. And, and the traditional revived Roman Empire view and that kind of take. But also sort of the corollary to that, which is sort of the the... Islamic Antichrist take on that where you just change out uh, revived Roman Empire for whatever the Islamic Caliphate or however they want to do it with the Syria there's a few different takes on that too. but they all have the same problem. so uh, so I'll kind of take the, the modern views in the next podcast or at least Lord willing. And then also I wanted to mention if you know the answer to this um, shoot me an email Chris White 79 at protonmail.com Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode.